0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. All right. Good to have you each here this morning. Uh, Just want to share a couple of announcements real quick, and then we're going to do our prayer time after our time of worship and song this morning. Um, Just a note that the Community Blend uh, ministry is up and running. If you work from home but don't want to work at home, uh, there's a great opportunity for you to come and to be part of... Uh, the community blend uh, time so you can go to their website and find the times when they're open and if you're looking for a place to come get some coffee and uh, do your work. You're welcome to uh, join us during that time. Uh, If you have a desire to be involved in our childcare ministry, we also want you to be aware there's a sign-up sheet on the table in the back that you can sign up at. And then one other thing, just a a practical note, is the activity space in the back of our building was completed uh, this week in terms of the flooring. So the doors are locked, but it's open so that you can see some of the progress that's taking place in relationship to the building, So we just wanted you to be aware of that. Would you stand with me as I read Psalm 108? Psalm 108 one says this, my heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises with all my heart. Wake up, lyre and harp. I will wake with the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord. Among all the people, I will sing your praises among the nations may god help us to do that this morning as we join in worship father as we come before you we trust that our hearts will be filled with confidence in you so that as we sing lord we are singing truth uh, that we live by that we hold dear Uh, god as we sing i pray that you will uh, fill our hearts with confidence in you and we pray this in jesus beautiful name and all god's people said Amen. Let's worship him together this morning.
1: Thank forever shall be let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing trial of pain there is a faith proved of more worth than gold so refine me lord through the flame i'll bring praise i will bring praise i will bring praise no weapon formed against me shall remain i will rejoice i will declare god is my victory season you are still God I have a reason to sing I have a reason to worship Declare God is my victory and He is here. This is my prayer. This is my prayer in the harvest when favor and providence flow. I know I'm filled to be empty again. The seed I've received I will sow.
0: A special prayer request that I want to bring before you. One is uh, an opportunity for us to celebrate, and that is that uh, Tom Camella is coming home from the hospital today, uh, which is a really great blessing. Very grateful to the Lord. Uh, just being in prayer for him and Karen. He has a long road ahead of him, and really needs God's grace and favor. So just continue to pray for Tom. Uh, Jim Ash is going in for surgery on Wednesday and that is uh, to remove a tumor from his colon. Uh, The way that kind of played out is he actually passed out in New York City at work and that led to the discovery of this which in his words it's it's something that he's now giving thanks to God for that that was exposed by the other issues that he was uh, wrestling with. Uh, One situation that is uh, more earnest, perhaps, at this time is a prayer request for Mike Lorena. Uh, He is married to, who formerly was Ashley Dorier, and he is the son-in-law to Tim and Benita Dorier. They have two toddlers. Uh, He was diagnosed with leukemia this week. So we have uh, a great need for prayer for him. Just really want to encourage you as a church family. You get a chance to write a card of encouragement to them and also just to be uh, upholding them in prayer. Uh, This morning in the teen Sunday school class, we covered the passage of scripture that says, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. The truth is in a fallen world, we experience a lot of struggles and a lot of difficulties. And uh, we need God's wisdom, and we need God's help, and we trust God's help. That's why we sang this morning, Great is the Lord. Okay, so I want to pray this morning for uh, the variety of things that I've mentioned. I want you to join with us in prayer this morning. Father, as we have sung this morning, Great are you, Lord. Uh, We face, uh, in our daily experience, God, we face circumstances that kind of empty us of our power. They show us that we are truly weak and desperately in need of the strength that you provide. Lord, in many circumstances, we lack wisdom. And so we ask you for that wisdom, according to James 1 this morning, Father, as various people are facing various Circumstances that are very demanding and troublesome. Uh, so God, this morning we want to express to you gratitude for uh, Tom's coming home today. We pray for he and Karen both that your hand of favor would rest on him and that his process of rehabilitation would be accelerated and would exceed all expectations. And that Lord, we would attribute that work to the power of your hand. This morning, Lord, I also lift up Jim Ash Uh, Thank you for the service that he faithfully provides to our church family, he and his wife both. Uh, We love them dearly, Lord, and we pray that uh, the procedure that he undergoes on Wednesday would be utterly successful and that there would be no remnants of what they believe to be a cancerous tumor in his body. God, we're just asking that there would be a complete elimination of cancer from his body in your name. Uh, Lord, as we get the news regarding Mike, we... Our hearts are sad, God, because we know that that is such troubling news to receive. And so we, we receive that, that, that truth, that diagnosis, and we receive it with hope that we will see your hand at work. Well, right now, I'm sure Mike and Ashley feel like they lack wisdom. They lack insight into Why? But your word, Lord, your promise to us is that when we face trials, ask God. And so this morning, Lord, we're first asking for the lessons that you seek to teach through this. And we trust that they will be powerful and lifelong lessons that will sustain and stabilize their lives and their family. Above all, Lord, we would very simply ask in the name of Jesus for healing for Mike. God, it is not beyond you to work in a miraculous fashion, and so we 're just we 're just simply lifting him before you as a church family today God, trusting that you will intervene, that you will work in a miraculous way, that in every appointment that they have with medical uh, help that there would just be deep wisdom and clarity about treatment, about progress, and Lord, we look forward to hearing of mike 's freedom from leukemia that is our desire just very simply expressed before you we lift up diana and victor before you today as well lord and just pray your continued uh, favor and strength and help and healing into their lives lord we trust you with diana's life and we pray that you will do good to them in and through this extended season that we've been walking with them through i believe now for two years so we trust you god we trust you And I'm thankful this morning, Lord, that when we lack wisdom, we can come and we can ask and you give us wisdom in how we respond to these circumstances so that your name is made known through our lives and our experiences. Bless James as he comes to bring your word this morning, Lord, how desperately we need to hear the message that you are sovereign in all things. And so as he speaks to us from your word today, God, I pray that you will give us hearts that are open, ears that are able to hear, eyes that can see what you want from us today, and a willingness to embrace those purposes. We pray these blessings in the beautiful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. I'm going to ask James to come at this time.
2: Children, Children you can be dismissed for junior church. I don't know. Do we get children? You could be dismissed for junior church. For the rest of us, would you turn in your Bibles to Book of Ruth, Old Testament? And um, I'm looking forward to this series. Um, the series we have entitled "God's Providence in Perilous Times," um, which uh, great title, Doug. <laughs> um, and really, that is. Uh, the heart of what we're going through. I wonder how many of you are struggling with some type of hopelessness in your life. Maybe there is some type of struggle uh, that you're going through, uh, maybe a loss. Uh, This book is going to have quite a lot of loss in it and it's gonna come pretty quickly, uh, right in the uh, first several uh, verses of this book. Uh, You're going to hear of grief and brokenness. You're going to hear of wives burying husbands, and I know that there's some in our congregation that have done that. You're going to hear of a mother burying children, and once again, I know that there are people that have gone through that as well. And there is a sense of hopelessness that can happen in our lives when we go through those those dark days. Maybe you're finding yourself feeling empty. Maybe you're finding yourself feeling a lack of loss, lack of hope. As you go through those times, you find yourself with a negative view of your future. You worry about whether the future is there and what God is going to do in that. Maybe you've lost interest in life. Maybe you feel powerless and helpless, overwhelmed by the circumstances that are happening around you. Maybe you hear the news that is happening around us or maybe just the news in your own family and you find yourself grieving. You find yourself broken. You find yourself in despair and you're under bondage captive to this and there's days where it feels like i just don't even want to wake up because it's like another day another trauma and maybe you're feeling isolated and alone and the emotional the mental the physical health seems to be waning in your life i know that we don't like talking about these things but the reality is the vast majority of people struggle with these things because we live in a broken world And you know, we put on our Sunday face and we smile when we come into the sanctuary, but then we walk out of here broken. And I wonder, what is the help? And the mindset of somebody that's going through this period of hopelessness is that there's nothing that's going to get better. There's no one that can help. I have no future. No one can really understand. Nobody really understands and can care about me. Maybe it's just too late. Maybe the problems are over. No one cares, and the world is gonna offer you counsel. The world's counsel is to either revert, where you're going to shift the blame to something else. You're gonna shift the blame away from yourself, and you're gonna focus it on something or someone else. It's somebody else's fault. It's the people in my lives that are causing me problems, or maybe you tend to avoid. That's where the World Council will be. Run away. Get away. If you can get away from that circumstance, then things will be so much better. So it's not just getting rid of people, but it's getting rid of places. Put that place behind you, and your life will be so much better moving forward. Maybe you've been tempted to think that way. Or maybe you anesthetize your pain. You numb it with something, some substance or some activity, and as you numb the pain that you're going through, what ends up happening is it's just surface just covering over the problem. You know, as as a counselor and as pastors, what we do is we help people that are in pain. That's our job, right? We are here to help people that are in pain. And and the pain, whether it's from their past, their decisions that they've made in their past, or it's in their present, our goal is to help people that are in pain. And what we do to help them in their pain is to focus them on a person. So you will hear Tim, Doug, and I, Lord willing, focusing you back on a person, Christ. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the troubles, and the trials, your past, your present, we focus you back on Christ the person of Christ. We bring you back to God's word, the principles and promises from God's word because we have no greater counsel than what God has given us in these 66 books. We move you to a person, we give you principles and promises, and then we we talked about a pathway, a pathway for change. So you can have real peace, real hope, real joy in life. The problem is that the world's counsel will not take you down that path. Decades ago a youth pastor of mine Dwight Peterson used to use this phrase. I couldn't stand it to be honest with you He says life is not determined by what you want Life is determined by the choices that you make Growing up in a broken home with a lot of struggles every time I would hear that it's like I didn't want this and I didn't choose this but but his point was this There are a lot of circumstances, James, in your life that you do not control. But in the midst of every circumstance, you have choices that you make. And those choices need to be funneled by the person and work of Christ, by the principles and promises of his word, and putting you on the pathway for God's, for change in your life that God would have you. Here is the way scripture says walk in it. So I want you to keep that in mind. As we go through this book, now this book is is full of um, themes and their 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 names and uh, great names. We're going to talk about some of those names this morning. There's a sense of emptiness and fullness. Uh, A woman who feels empty in life because there's nothing there for her. She says, but she is actually full. A woman who looks at God as only her judge and only punishing her and not recognizing the grace of God and the gospel of God that is there. There's a theme of returning back home, going back home, where we need to turn away from where we were going and turn the complete opposite direction. That's where many of us need to be this morning. It's a book of kindness and love. It's a book of steadfast love where God has been so faithful to his people even when they've turned their back on him some people call it a love story I don't even know if it's as much a love story they they think about Boaz and Ruth and their their love for one another I I think it's more about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God in the midst of difficult times that God is with you so as you as you do this as we work through this book I want you to consider a homecoming You ever see those things? They always catch me, you know, I start to cry over them when a um, military person comes back from the field, right? And they come back from the field and they walk into their kid's classroom or they're on the football field and their kid is there and all of a sudden their their kid turns around and they're there and the the homecoming and the celebration that is there. I, I want you to think about this. That's not the kind of celebration that Naomi's gonna get when she comes back home. This is going to be said in a historical context, this book of faithlessness. People have failed to follow God. It's going to be a time of hardship. It's going to be a time of loss. It's going to be a time of God's judgment. As we go through this first chapter, we're going to look at a number of different characters. And I want you to see each one of those characters and how they focused on their relationship with God or how they did not. And how they dealt with horizontal things in this world. I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to look at even the names of the people, which is very interesting. The writer of Ruth is is was exquisite. And just using words and language and names just to get underlying themes. I'm going to try to point some of those things out. And I know Tim and Doug will do the same as we go through this. And I want you to see this. We're going to see a a relationship between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. We're going to see that woman who is outside of Christ turn to Christ, turn to God. But the greatest thing I want you to see is this, and I don't know what the trials are that you're going through, I don't know what the troubles are, I want you to see that there is a sovereign God who is there with you. There is a God who is infinitely wise, knows better than you, and there is a God who is perfectly loving. That idea, that person, a sovereign God, an infinitely wise God, a loving God, is who you need to stand firm on in the midst of the violent storms. That's why Jesus said, when you build your house on sand, the things of this world, when the struggles come, your house will fall down. But if you build your house on the rock, the word, the person and work of Christ, the principles and promises of his word, and live your life on that pathway that is driven out of God's word, what he can do is bring hope and peace and joy in the midst of the misery that you're having. I want you to hear that this morning as we look at this book. Would you pray with me as we begin? So, Lord, I I pray that this morning that you would take this young woman and her story, but greater than that, an older woman and her story, but greater than that, an older man and his story, but greater than that, a king, the second king of Israel, but greater than that, the greatest king ever to rule over us. The Lord Jesus Christ, help us to see that in the midst of the perilous times, we have a providential, we have a sovereign God who is infinitely wise and perfectly loving and is here for us. And when the storms of our lives come, Lord, help us to build firmly on you, your truth, your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's look at Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. And let's get started right in the beginning. Ruth chapter 1, it says, In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So let me start by telling you this. We're going to look at a dark backdrop. There's a dark backdrop here, verses 1 and 2. So, It's talking about in the days when the judges ruled. So this is at the time of Judges. This book is right after Judges. And if you're familiar with the book of Judges, what you will notice is that there are um, elements of people who claim that they were going to follow God, claim that they were going to be faithful to him, and they failed to do so actually, as I look at this first verse, let me just read the full first verse. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah went on a sojourn in a country of Moab, he and his wife and his two children. Okay, so there are three things I want you to pick up there. First, he says it's in the day of the judges. Second, I want you to think about the promised land, Bethlehem, Judah. And then third, I want you to think about famine. So those three things we want to look at first. Well, let's look at the book of Judges and think about that. Uh, The book of Judges covers about 350 to 400 years of Israel's um, existence. And it goes from the death of Joshua to the beginning of Samuel's life. And the book covers this transitional period where they were wandering in the desert and now they've been brought into the promised land. And so what they do is this. Israel at the time was this loose fabrication of tribes, these different tribes that were coming together. And now what they're gonna do is to move this to a larger group, an ultimate group in a promised land. And God would raise up periodically these leaders, these leaders they called judges, and he would give them grace to help the people in the midst of their trials. So the people would be in a level of trial. He would raise up a judge to take them through to be their leader at the time. The Spirit would come upon this leader, this judge, and that leader would take the people ahead of strong to their place now they had different leaders like Samson and Barak and Deborah and different judges that we would have during this time but one of the common themes that you will find in the book of Judges is that and the people did what was evil in the sight Of the Lord. That was a common theme as you read Judges that God would raise up somebody, they would say we would follow him, and then they would reject God, they would turn away from God, and they would do evil in the sight of the Lord. And then what God would do out of punishment is that He would raise up the enemies of Israel to come and oppress the people, and as He came to oppress the people, He was chastising them for their sin. And then the people would repent and they would cry out, God, save us, forgive us. We repent and then God would raise up a leader to take them through. I want you to hear that cycle that would tend to happen. Sin. Punishment. Calling out in repentance. God coming to rescue. In fact, one theologian put four words when he thought about the book of Judges. relapse where they would find themselves going into apostasy. Retribution, where God in his retributive justice would bring punishment upon the people. Repentance. Then what God, the people would do is they would change their heart. They would cry out to God and they would ask him for his forgiveness and then rescue. God would raise up a historic judge to do that. That pattern of recurring apostasy, godlessness in their lives was was apparent. Go back to Joshua. Go back a couple of um, one book prior. So we've got Judges and right before that. I want to look at Joshua. And let's look at Joshua chapter 24 because I think this is helpful. In Joshua chapter 24, let's look at verse 14. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. It says. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Joshua is at the end of his life, and he's just getting ready to come to the end of his life, and he's saying, I want you to fulfill these promises. You're going to actually hear a verse that many of us know uh, that Joshua's going to use here. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the regions beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, whose land you now dwell, but as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and Fathers up from and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did great signs in our sight and preserved us in a way that we went out, and among the people through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out before us all the people, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Do you hear it? The people were saying that they were making this proclamation that We will serve the Lord. So it's important for us to keep in mind that these people were saying, we're going to serve you, God, and the worldliness came into our lives. And I want you to think about this. The reality is that's us. As we go through the worldliness that is happening around us, more often than not, we will find ourselves tempted by that worldliness. And that's exactly what's happening with the people of God. So let's keep going. Go back to Ruth, chapter 1. So Israel is breaking their promise to God. They're going after foreign gods, and it's in the day of Judges. There's a famine in the land as well. We find in the Pentateuch that when God said that there is a judgment that it will bring upon your nation, one of the ways that God was gonna judge his nation was to bring a famine. He was gonna remove the rain and that they would not be able to bear crops. And there was a famine in the land. And this famine that's happening in the land, and there's a man from Bethlehem, which is interesting. Beth means house of, Lehem means bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. There's a famine in the house of bread in Judah. That should tell them that there's something really wrong here because God is providing. He says, I'm gonna provide for you day after day, but he's not providing for them because of their sin in their lives. And instead of turning to God, they continue to their worldliness. Now watch what this man does. In Judah, he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with what Moab was, but Moab was a, a godless place. Now, if you remember back in Genesis, where Lot, an ancestor of Abram, um, when his daughters, after they left Sodom and Gomorrah, there was no man for them to have a child with. So if you remember the story, it's a session with ter- it's terrible that they got their father drunk. They were intimate with their father so that they could have children. That is Moab. It comes from an incestuous relationship. It's the same people that tried to keep the nation of Israel out of the promised land. It's the same people that were trying to pour a curse upon the people of Israel. They are the same people that God says, I am cursing you for the next 10 generations. It's this people, the the avowed enemies of Israel, that this man in the midst of the famine and the struggles that are happening shows the pragmatic thing we're going to our enemy to find food i wonder how many of us do that let's look at verse two it says the man's name was Amalek, and his wife was named naomi and the names of their two sons malon and kilion and Amalek's name is interesting because it means god is king so god is king living in the land of bread went to an enemy away from his God. That's what we tend to do. We, we claim the name of Christ, we say we're Christians, but then we live in such godless ways at times in our lives. Well, that's what this man is doing. He's making a decision. In the midst of this famine, in the midst of the troubles, he is moving away from God's land and God's people, and he's going to the foreign land. So I ask you, I got one figure out three fingers went back, I ask you, how many times is it that we find ourselves making pragmatic decisions based on our own passion and will and not turning to God's word for it. There's nothing here that says that this man or this woman or this family went to prayer about the decision that they were gonna make. They immediately looked at was pragmatic, what they thought was gonna be the best choice. And as Peterson said, life is not determined by what you want. Life is determined by the choices that you make. So they made a choice in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the brokenness, to go after a land and into a foreign land, away from their God, away from their people, away from their family, away from their religion. They went to a land that was godless. It says this, they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem and Judea, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. It's interesting. It was just a sojourn, right? We were just kind of going there for a little bit of time. But the problem is, is that you stay in a place long enough and that you start to get part of the culture. Kind of like Lot and Sodom. He became part of the culture. As you spend enough time in the culture, the culture starts to influence the way you see things and influences the way you speak and influences the way you live. That was what was happening here. Verse 3. But Amalek, the husband of Naomi died. So we have this man who was going away from God's people, going away from God's religion, going away in his own pragmatic way, and he finds out that he ends up dying. He dies. This leaves Naomi in a foreign land, away from their family, away from security, and the leader of their home has passed away. That's not exactly what he was thinking. He was thinking that we were gonna go there for a period of time and then we would go back home, but he ends up dying there. It's it's interesting and sad for me how many um, women I have worked with over the years where husbands, and I say this to the husbands here, that have not cared for their family, they're, Husband, the husband passes away, and what is it left? It's left with the woman having to try to care for this family with no support. Well, that's what Amalek did here. He he wasn't continuing his wife and his family long term, and he left them. And the death didn't stop there because these two. Sons took Moabite women. So it's it's not only that they're living in the land, but now they are taking wives and they're intermarrying with people that are godless. We do that in our society today too. How many Christians have I sat down with who have married outside the faith and they say pragmatically, I know people, I know that this person could come come to faith and the scriptures tell them don't do it, but they do it anyway. Well, that's exactly what these two men did. They took Moabite wives, and the names of their wives were Orpa, and the name Ruth. They lived there ten years, and they died. The story is—it's gone from worse to worse to worse. But. This man took his family away from the land of bread into the godless area where there is no worship of God. He took them to enemy territory. He dies. His sons take on wives of this area and they die. And now you have a woman, a mom, a wife, and then two widows as well. These three women living in this society have no way to handle life. And they don't know what they're going to do. And this is a major problem that is happening. And the brokenness, I can't imagine what Naomi was going through. She lost her husband. Now she's lost her two sons. What is she going to do? God, where are you? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever found yourself in the midst of the struggles that you, you just know that, I, I God, it just feels like you are just laying heavy burden after heavy burden after heavy burden. I just can't take it anymore, God. Well, that is what is happening here. So we've had this death of, of several family members, the bitterness, the emptiness, the compromise that was there, and now the emptiness that she is enduring. And it's the women that are left. Now, in this culture today, in our culture, we have women that look around. I look around this congregation. There are many women in this congregation that are well-educated. They have their jobs. They're making their money. Some of you are living on your own and taking care of yourself. But in this culture, that is not what is happening. Women were not educated. They were not working. They needed a man for protection. So when the husband dies, the hope is the sons will take care of me. But when the sons die, there is no one to take care of me. I am at a loss. I don't know what to do. I am in a foreign land. And the brokenness that Naomi must have been feeling. And she felt the hand of God was heavy upon her. Do you ever feel that way? So Naomi now makes a a decision. And the decision is to return home. The decision to return home. We see this in verse 6. Let's keep going. It says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited the people and had given them food. So she's there in the land of Moab and she is hearing this good news that God has come back to the nation. And he, she is, he has given them rain. He has given them crops. And now we can leave this territory and we can go back home. So at least there's some good news that's coming out of it. She she decides to turn to go home. Verse six, seven. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on to return to the land of Judah. So they make this decision, Naomi must have been this great woman, I can't imagine, these two daughter-in-laws say that I'm going to leave my family, I'm going to leave my homeland to go with you. She must have been a woman of great character that these two women would leave to go to their foreign land, their opposed enemy, and they were going there. But it's not really sensible, let's be honest. There is no way that from a human viewpoint where these three women are going to be cared for, it's let alone hard to believe that Naomi is going to be cared for. She's been gone for at least 10 years, maybe even longer. And now she's bringing two additional women. Can you imagine if somebody knocked on your door and said, I want you to take take me in? But it's not just taking me in. It's also taking my two other daughters-in-law in. And I I have no money, I'm destitute, so I need you to give me housing, I need you to give me food, I need you to give me shelter, I need you to give me all of this. Can you imagine if that happened? And how many of us would open our doors in that way? This is just not practical, this is not sensible. You're going to, these two women are going to a land where they speak a completely different language, they have a completely different God, they have a completely different set of cultures, there's not going to be a man in this culture that's going to want to marry you, so you're going to be left why are you going with me? It just doesn't make sense. So that's why Ruth is now going to begin her first of a series of conversations. Look at verse 8. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go and return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal with you kindly as you have dealt with me and the dead, or dead with me. So Naomi starts by saying that, you know what, I want you to sit down and think about how often it is, how practical it is for you to go. You should return back to your family, and I pray that the Lord will deal kindly with you, which is quite quite interesting that, that she's saying, I pray that the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, will deal kindly with you, even though she is telling them to go back to their foreign lands and go back to their foreign gods. But she is recognizing this, that the hand of blessing is from God, whether you worship him or not, God's hand of blessing is upon all people. He calls the rain to come on the righteous and the unrighteous. So she's probably recognizing this. and She says, go back to your home, find a family, have kids, do something, but going with me is not going to work. Naomi said in verse 9, she says, The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. And then she kisses them, and they lift up their voices and wept. They're crying. They're, they're saying, No, no. And verse 10, they said to her, No, we will not return. With, we will return with you and to your people. So they make this proclamation. The first conversation, Ruth, uh, Naomi says, Go back. They say, No. So they go along the ways a little bit longer. And they have a second conversation, verse 11. Now, Naomi Naomi's now going to give a series of arguments. Watch these arguments that she's going to give. The first argument she's going to give is, I don't have any children that you can marry. Verse 11, but Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? If I, if I even had a child in my womb right now, could they become your husband and so what she's doing is saying this, I don't want you to be selfish. I'm, I'm making this plea. I want you to turn back. I don't have any children that you could marry. I don't have any right now. So Naomi is making a practical argument once again. Once again, this is not fueled by God's word. This is not fueled by God's prayer. This is fueled by God, uh, by practicality. A practical argument. You have no future with me. Naomi then continues the second argument that even if I had a child today, if I had a child, would you wait for them to be marrying age? Let's say 15 years old in this culture. Would you wait 15 years to get married? Watch what she says in verse 12. Turn back, my daughters, go away, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, verse 13, would you therefore wait till there were grown Would you therefore refrain from marrying? Would you wait for the next 15 years that my son would be old enough that you could marry? Why are you doing this? Turn back. So she gives her first argument, I don't have any children. Second, she gives the second argument, even if I had a child, they're not old enough for you to marry. If I had a child today, we'd have to wait 15 years or more to get married. And then Naomi makes her third argument. She says this, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me, and I do not want that for you. Watch what she says at the end of verse 13, know my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She she feels that God is purposing to punish her. And she feels this punishment. She recognizes the sovereignty of the Lord, his hand, but she sees his punishment in her life. And she says, I don't want that for you, my daughters. I don't want that for your life. So Naomi is making argument after argument after argument that you should return home. Let's continue in verse 14. She says this. Here's the defining moment in this whole thing. Verses 14 through 18. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Which is interesting, there's a defining moment. These two daughters-in-laws are now at a point where they are going to have to make a decision, and they're making this decision, and they're saying, I'm going either back home or I'm going with you. One of them makes the practical, sensible choice. The practical, sensible choice was, I'm going back home. I'm going back to my gods. I'm going back to my people. That's what Orpah did. Ruth made the thing that didn't make sense unless there was a God behind it. She made the choice that went against sensibility, against reality. She says, I'm staying with you. This is where the dividing line is. And this is where the third conversation comes in. Third conversation, verse 15. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods Return to your, with your sister-in-law. So, so now Naomi is left with Ruth. Orpah has gone, and she, says, she sees her walking down the road, and she says, Ruth, what are you doing? Why don't you go with your sister-in-law? There is hope if you go that way. And then we hear this powerful message, this powerful deciding factor that Ruth says. This is the first time we hear Ruth speak. A lot of the book of Ruth is about a lot of conversations. I want you to see this first major thing that Ruth says. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and be buried. May the Lord do to me more also if anything but death parts main. I don't know how many of you had this at your wedding. A lot of people have this passage at the wedding ser- uh, service, and, but it's not a wedding service message. It is a mother-in-law to a daughter, a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. But, but I want you to hear if the deciding moment, the definitive moment in Orpah's life is I'm going back to my old life. I want you to hear Ruth's defining moment. This is the central message of this whole book, of this whole chapter. Ruth made a defining decision to turn back to God. I want you to see that she's at a crossroads in her life. And many of us have gone down this path. We have a path to the left or a path to the right, a broad path that will eventually lead to destruction, or a narrow path that seems rocky, but it will lead to life. And it's a defining moment in, in Ruth's life. And Ruth makes this decision that I'm going to a new path. I'm going a new way. She says, do not urge me to leave you. In essence, she's saying, stop it, mom. Stop. Stop all these arguments. I'm not leaving you. And then she says, where you go, I'm going. Your path is my path. She says, I have a new path. I'm going with you. She says, not only where you go, I have a new place where you lodge. I am lodging. It's not just a path that she's choosing. I'm going to a new place with you. She says, your people are going to be my people. There's going to be new people. I have a new family. I'm leaving that family behind. I am a new path, a new place, new people in my life. I have a new purpose. Where you die, I will die. And I will be buried with you. I have a new priority for my life. May the Lord do to me also if, if anything but death parts me. But there's a new person in her life. We see the loyal love of Ruth here for her mother-in-law. But the greatest thing that we see is this. Her confession of faith. I skipped over the line. He says, do not urge me to leave your return from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. See, this is a turning point. This this loyal love that she has for her mother-in-law is overwhelmed by this confession of faith in the God, the Lord God. It's interesting that God is coming up here from the lips of this pagan and has not come up from the lips of the woman that's supposed to be in faith. And what she says is this, I'm leaving my old life and I am going with you. And I, in many ways, I think this is the gospel. You remember, you remember in um, how many times in scripture it would say that you need to turn, you need to repent, you need to go completely go to a different direction. Well, that's what Ruth says. I give up, I give up my people, I give up my path. I give up my purposes, I give up my priority, I am focusing on one person, God. So I ask you this morning, I wonder, how many of us find ourselves making the decision to make it about God more than anything else? That's what Ruth did here. Ruth says, stop, I'm turning. So that's the gospel. Stop, turn, and go a completely different direction. I find it interesting how Naomi treats her daughter-in-law. Look at verse 18. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, what did she do? She said no more. Now I guess you could read that as I'm gonna stop arguing with you, but I don't think that's what's happening. Naomi is so bitter, so frustrated, So angry. She's tried to convince these daughter in laws to leave. Now she's going to go into her homeland with this Moabitess daughter in law. And people are going to look at her and say, What in the world have you done? She doesn't say anything to her. The silent treatment. I've just pledged my loyal love to you and I've made a confession of faith to your God and you've said nothing to me. That long journey home. A despairing complaint, verses 19 through 21. She says, call me bitter. So they now get to the homeland, verse 19. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. Once again, the land of bread, the house of bread. And they came to Bethlehem, house of bread, and the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? I'm not completely sure what they mean by, is this Naomi? Is, this, is it, wow, they're just so excited, and the welcoming committee comes out there and says, wow, is it Naomi? Could be. Is this Naomi? You know, presidents go into the Oval Office, and they come out looking so old. <laughs> I tell you, the youngest of them go in, and they come out... Kind of looking like me, Uh, gray hair, receding hairlines. I mean, you know, just old. I wonder, the years in a foreign land, the loss of a husband, the loss of a sons, the brokenness. I wonder what she looked like on the outside, and whether they are welcoming her or they are disbelieving. Whatever it is, the reality is they said, is this Naomi? Did they mention, hold on, did they mention Ruth? They did not mention Ruth. Ruth is a nobody. Ruth is a nobody to her mother-in-law because her mother-in-law gave her the silent treatment on the way home, but Ruth is a nobody to these people. And it's just sure to show that you're, you're going to the wrong place, Ruth. You shouldn't be here. Verse 20. Naomi said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, by the way. Call me Mara, for the the Almighty has dealt heavenly and bitterly with me. I went away full, and I've been brought back empty. Once again, Ruth is sitting there saying, I'm right here with you, Mom. But I have nothing, Naomi says. Why do you call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought this calamity upon me? Do you hear all the eyes rather than God? Do you hear the sense of emptiness versus fullness? Do you hear the sense of hopelessness that is in her life? That is what she is going through. Divine care. Verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem, the beginning of barley harvest. Just a little line at the end. The beginning of barley harvest. Orpah, Orpah left. She went back to her homeland. She was a Moabitist. She says, I'm going back to my people. She was going to find a husband and a life there. The other Moabitist daughter-in-law, Ruth, clung to her mother-in-law and said, I am pledging my loyal love to you, and I'm pledging my confession of faith to your God. And Naomi is sitting there bitter, resentful, hopeless. So I guess I'll ask you, How many of you find yourself in exactly the same position? As the circumstances in your life feel overwhelming, do you turn to the person of God and his word? Do you turn to the principles and promises from his word? Do you turn to the pathway of change? Or do you turn inward in bitterness and resentment? Naomi found herself just bitter, resentful, angry, frustrated, overwhelmed with God. Don't call me Mara. Do not call me Naomi Pleasant. Call me bitter. And this bitter root had a possibility of defiling all these people. Whether this was a welcoming party or not, they probably went out there and said, oh no, I'm turning away, I'm going back. This woman is bitter. Have you allowed bitterness to take hold in your heart and life? Let me just close with some principles I think are here. First principle I see in this chapter is this, there's a worldly influence that has occurred. I need you to be mindful not to make your life decisions by relying on your personal feelings and experiences, or by worldly principles and not by the principles and promises of God's word. This family made decisions based on the worldly influences and they didn't go to God's word and they did not go to prayer. They made pragmatic decisions and I'm fearful that we do the same. There's a second principle I want you to consider is this. I need you to keep an eternal focus. When you're going through suffering and trials, I need you to remind yourself to keep focus on the precious promises that God has for you. God has promised your eternal benefit if you're in him. Don't look at the practical issues that are happening around you. Look at the future of where God is taking you. The third thing I want you to keep in mind is this. I need you to see God for who he really is. The problem with Naomi is that she saw God only as one thing, her judge. She didn't see him as a gracious God, a covenant-keeping God, a merciful God, a kind God. She didn't see any of that. She just saw his anger and his judgment upon her. And instead of repenting and turning back to him, she turned into bitterness but when you can see God in his whole orb of who he is, God is not just partially judged, he is fully judged. But he's also fully gracious and fully loving and fully kind and fully truthful and fully faithful. This, this absolutely sovereign God is infinitely wise and perfectly loving. You need to see God in all of who he is as you go through the trials that you go through. So it's important to be careful of worldly influence. It's important to keep an eternal focus. It's important to see God for who he really is. And it's important to be thankful. She missed it. I have nothing. Mom, I'm here. God is here. But she didn't see it. She wasn't thankful. She wasn't rejoicing. She wasn't prayerful. She wasn't thankful in all things. We struggle with this. And the last thing I want you to think about is this. We need to trust God's word. Don't trust your feelings. Your feelings go up and down. My feelings kind of go like on a roller coaster at times. So do yours. What we need to do is to trust something that's objective and that's clear. And the principles and promises from God's word are there. The Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to rescue people. In the midst of their sinfulness, in the midst of their brokenness, Jesus came from heaven to live a life we could never live, to die a death in our place, to rise victoriously so that we can be forgiven, free, and have a family. In the midst of this family sinfulness, God ordained that they go to the land of Moab so that God can bring his child Ruth out of it. It's amazing to me that God in his sovereignty says, I've got a child in the land of this heathen people and I'm going to use your sinfulness to bring my child home. You have a God that is in absolute and total control. You have a God who is infinitely wise. You have a God who's perfectly loving and he will go after a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son, to bring them home. And he went after a lost daughter, Ruth. So don't get overwhelmed by the circumstances, the perilous times that we're living in. Remind yourself of a providential God who is there with you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would remind us of our tendency towards worldliness. Father, we oftentimes make decisions based on the world and even our own feelings. Lord, please forgive us for willfully rejecting your word and turning to our choices, making ourselves God rather than you. Lord, please forgive us for making our focus so focused on this moment in time and failing to recognize the eternal focus the eternal benefit that we have. Lord, please forgive us for trusting our feelings rather than trusting your word. Please forgive us for the fact that we have made people as insignificant in our lives, like, like that they're nobody in our lives. We, we get them the silent treatment, and we turn away from them rather than valuing the gift that you've given us in them. But Father, even greater than that, please forgive us for forsaking your son. Father, there's some here that are probably like Orpah that came to the defining moment in their lives and they walk away and they say, I'm not going to you, God, I'm not going to you, Christ. Lord, I pray that you would humble them, open their eyes and turn them to faith in you. And in the defining moment, Father, there are many of us that have said, I trust you, God, I trust your son. So I pray that you would help us to not only show loyal love to others, but help us to continue to cling to that confession of faith in you. And Father, in the perilous times that we're going through, help us to know of a God who is absolutely in control, infinitely wise, perfectly loving, providential for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you so much for this service, Lord, and for the knowledge that as we see such deep valleys and just in the world and in uh, situations that we've already prayed for, Lord, uh, in our congregation, that the knowledge that you are above every single one of those things is absolutely still true, that you are sovereign, that you are only allowing these things to magnify your glory. God, uh, please help us to... Uh, find our hope, our ultimate hope in that, and to project that to a very watching world, Lord. Uh, Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week, guys.